right. Thank you all for listening to my first episode. I, I have to say I was super nervous. So even just seeing that it had been listened to by someone, you know, is very comforting. And I appreciate everyone that took the time to do so and, uh, you know, commented at me on Twitter or Discord. Thank you all. I, I thought I'd start this episode uh, with another kind of personal an- anecdote. Last time I, I talked about that I, you know, I've got a lot of movies and TV that I wanted to watch or, you know, have watched. And there's so much good content on TV these days that, you know, I've more or less given up trying to get people to to love what I love. Uh, but, you know, I, I kind of just say, like, if, if you don't like it or it's not your thing, like, there's there's so much on, just move on. But I, I did want to share my, my kind of Mount Rushmore TV shows real quick. Number one, you'll see a lot of familiar names. They're, they're at the top of a lot of lists, but, but I really do love this show. So number one, The Wire. I've watched it all the way through maybe four or five times. Uh, you know, I pick up something new every time. Like, I, I kind of feel like what the show is able to do with characters uh, and, and character building with such a, a big cast. And, and most of that cast gets like very little screen time. Is, it's pretty amazing. The interconnectedness of characters and events, in, in my opinion, is just like unrivaled in TV. The, the show... <laughs> It, it builds a world that it feels massive, but also incredibly local at the same time. I, I, I love it. I, I tend to try to choose my words carefully and frequently say, you know, that, that words matter. But in The Wire, they say all the pieces matter and, and no show I've ever watched really connects every single piece better than, better than The Wire does. Number two, <clears throat> Game of Thrones. So another massive show with similarities and, and some major, major differences from, <laughs> from The Wire. Again, an enormous cast, multiple storylines like woven together, you know, pretty much seamlessly. And the, the the world in the Game of Thrones just just feels huge. My my wife and I recently watched it again, and and while I'll agree with with most people that the final season had a, a few serious flaws, the the show itself is kind of just an incredible achievement, and it'll always be one of my favorites. Number three. Uh, the only show on my Mount Rushmore that is still in production, Succession. Th- this show, it's just so in my wheelhouse, uh, I, I just can't get enough. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's hilarious. Uh, it's it, it essentially like totally unrelatable. <laughs> so I can't even put my finger on why I love it so much, but, but 100% it's up there already. Uh, it's, just, it's just one of my favorites. And then Breaking Bad, unlike The Wire and Game of Thrones, like Breaking Bad is, well, I guess The Wire is local too, but Breaking Bad is like so local and so small with very direct through lines, you know, where one thing leads to another and another and another, and, and it just pulls it off like nearly flawlessly. Seeing the characters kind of find and, and push past their moral limits, watching Walt go from a, a docile, you know, science teacher sort of with a grudge and a motivation to a, a kingpin, and Jesse from from like the small town screw up that you know I'm, I've <laughs> I've known Jesse's uh, to more or less like the moral center of the show is like was pretty incredible. Like the first watch of Breaking Bad is is quite an experience and something I'll you know I'll <clears throat> I'll uh, always remember. I've got lots and lots of more recommendations. I mean, I've, there's, I've seen tons and tons of uh, really good stuff, but but those are, are all in my top four. And I, I think I've actually watched every episode that's been released of all of those shows at least, uh, at least twice. So getting back to the meat 
of, of the episode, I thought I'd finish up uh, evaluating NBA rookie wings and bigs for potential card buys over the summer and, and talk a little bit about the, the card release calendar and my, my personal summer card plans. And I'll do that by starting uh, with Evan Mobley. So Mobley was the third pick out of USC. There was a, at least some, if not a lot of buzz around him uh, at the draft, going potentially going first overall. Uh, his skill set seemed to translate like really easily to immediate NBA, you know, contributions and success. And, he, you know, he didn't disappoint at all. <clears throat> He's got a fluidity to his game, you know, uh, and especially for a big and, you know, he has the potential of, you know, to, to really kind of make some like soft face up jumpers, like with a very, a very easy, a very easy stroke. Playing the, the four in the Twin Towers that, that Cleveland used this year while the league is moving smaller and smaller, he, he really fit in like perfectly to a team that doubled its win total from 22 to 44. A good portion of that was bolstered by an improvement from 25th in defensive rating to 7th. Uh, that's, that's a pretty incredible uh, improvement. He was the favorite for Rookie of the Year for much of the year and finished second with 43 out of 100 first, first place votes. I once commented in Discord group before the season that I expected him to be solid defensively, but I wasn't sure if he was going to be dynamic enough on offense for his cards to be collectible, uh, at least not in his rookie year. Uh, but offensively, you know, he had a, he had a fine year. He he was 16, 9, and 3 on 55% true shooting per 36. Uh, nearly 70% of his shots came at the rim within 10 feet. He shot 76% at the rim, which is great. Uh, you know, he did, he was less than 40% outside of three feet. Uh, and additionally, like 20, 20% of his shot attempts were dunked. So, you know, obviously like <clears throat> want to see that, uh, increase. No one really doubts that he'll be able to stretch his shot out. Uh, but he took less than one and a half threes a game, uh, which I guess makes sense. I mean, he only shot 25% from behind the line as well. His 30% free throw rate is above league average, and it, it kind of tells me that he's either getting the ball in great spots or, or being aggressive on the attack. Uh, defensively, his total rebound rate of 13.5 is fine, but it's, you know, it's not great for a center. Um, but I attribute most of that to playing alongside Jared Allen most of the year. Allen uh, has, throughout his career, has, had a, has been a great rebounder and had a great rebound rate. Uh, and plus, I mentioned, you know, not a 13.5% is not great for a center. Well, Mobley didn't play center mo most of the year. At least didn't start at center. He was near the top 10 in total blocks, blocks per game, blocks per 36, and carried a 1.5 defensive box plus minus. So all of that is very strong, especially in shot blocking, which is what he was kind of expected to do uh, defensively. But he didn't disappoint at all. Unlike some of the highly drafted rookie guards that I that I talked about last episode, Mobley like hit the ground running and, and basically never stopped. His month-to-month -month numbers were remarkably consistent throughout the year. Uh, in terms of sports cards, though, centers and bigs like historically have not been super collectible. While Mobley has first-team All NBA upside, I, I I still feel like he kind of needs to add that like dynamicism, you know, to offensively to his game to be really someone that, that you want to collect and hold if, if you're not like a, if you're not already a, like a big fan. I mean, to me, that means scoring at all three levels and off the bounce, um, or at least some combination of that, right? Just, just improvement offensively and 
something more than than uh, you know getting everything at the bucket. Although, you know, dunks are never a bad thing. So, like, I wouldn't be scaling, but uh, selling, but I'm I'm pretty skeptical of of buying his cards. Uh, and you know, Evan Mobley's cards right now are towards the top of the market compared to all of his peers in the rookie class, which makes per- you know again makes perfect sense. He was one of the best rookies, may- maybe the best rookie uh, in the in the year. But Tim Duncan, uh, Kevin Garnett, Dirk, Barkley, Weber, Bosch, Anthony Davis, you know, these are some kind of great power forwards, like historically great power forwards. Some were even finals MVP, you know, Duncan won multiple. You know, I, I never hear anyone kind of falling over the, themselves to collect those guys. And even other centers like this, you know, we've got Jokic, Embiid, um, you know, Kat, Bam Adebayo, whoever. No one's, I'm not, I, I don't know. I just don't see them as like super collectible. So I, I think he's going to have a great career, but in, in terms of buying his cards, I just have a really hard time like expecting significant long-term value. Scotty Barnes. Barnes was kind of a surprise pick at fourth overall, although, you know, I think most people had him in the top 10. He was a sixth man in his, in his only season at Florida State, but his impact on the defensive and offensive end carried him to the rookie of the year win. The the Raptors roster is like super interesting. It's full of guys who are six six to six nine with no one above six nine. Uh, and he spent he spent time at the two, uh, well not the two as much, but the three and four and and even a little bit of five. And he can guard one through four, uh, pretty capably. He put up sixteen eight and three and a half with a steal and a block on fifty five percent true shooting. The majority of his shots came within ten feet, but he did step out beyond the beyond the the three-point line for 20% of its of his attempts where he shot 30%. I mean, 30% isn't good, but it, uh, you know, I, I feel like there could be improvement there. Um, coming, coming soon. Versatility is kind of the key to, to his season. Um, I had people comparing him to say Kawhi, Scotty Pippen and other sort of big wings who could do a little bit of everything. He can initiate score D up other wings, um, I think his defensive act impact was maybe slightly overblown, uh, but but he was a positive player on that end. Uh, he's got significant potential and, and is definitely another like all NBA all NBA potential type of player. He's he's at the very top of the ceiling in terms of uh, you know kind of kind of bolstered by his uh, rookie of the year one. He's really at the very top uh, in terms of his current prices compared to you know his other rookie peers. I'm probably not buying it at that at those prices. You know, for for wings with this much hype, like I'm looking to see, like, can he be the best player on a championship team? Will he be in all NBA discussions? And I I think there's definitely a possibility of both, but I I kind of have a hard time seeing him like in the scoring leaders um, category, which is fine. I mean, you can be a great player and and not be a 27 point a game scorer or 25 or whatever, uh, but maybe he will. Um, it's just. With his prices kind of where they are now, it's just not someone I'm, I'm going out to buy. Uh, but I like him. I, you know, I hope he has a great career. Jonathan Kaminga was the seventh pick of the of the draft. It, he was thought of kind of as a crazy athletic wing in the mold of, like, say, Jalen Brown. Um, and his primary weakness was shooting consistency, which is something we've heard, you know, we've, we've come across with a lot of these rookies that we um, – have talked about or that I've talked about. He did land in maybe one of the very best spots for his long-term development that could have been that could have been expected 
in Golden State. His minutes increased consistently throughout the year from seven minutes per game for the first month or two to getting consistent rotational minutes uh, in the regular season on a title contender. Although throughout the playoffs this year, he has, his, he has been squeezed a little bit uh, with the shortened uh, playoff rotations. He shot a respectable 34% on threes, just slightly below the league average, um, and he took a third of his shots from three. The majority of the rest of his shots came from inside the paint where he finished at a really high rate. Um, you know, 17% of his, of his total field goal attempts were dunks. So that's a, that's a very high rate. He didn't do a lot of setting himself up. He was over 60% of his twos were assisted. Uh, but, the, you know, the Warriors kind of have an emphasis on ball, ball movement and playing with guys like Steph and Draymond and Jordan Poole. You know, the ability to create offense for, for himself maybe just wasn't necessarily what he was asked to do, but he did finish at a high rate. He got to the free throw line significantly more than, than league average, which combined with his high rate of shots at the rim, I, I think kind of speak to his athleticism and, and unstoppability sort of headed towards the hoop. He slashed 27 uh, and two on 60% true shooting, getting to the line six times per 36, which uh, of all qualified players that puts him in the top 15 in terms of free throw rights. So really, uh, really good at getting to the line and finishing at a high level. While he's not as accomplished as Mobley or Barnes, and being in Golden State definitely has a, a boost, or definitely gives a boost to his card market compared to most of his peers. Uh, unlike most other rookies, he's still currently in the playoffs and may continue to go deeper on a, on a you know one of the teams that's kind of expected to contend for a title. I like him as more of a high upside play, uh, but his prices are also already high. He's essentially fifth in the class, sort of behind <clears throat> behind the two guys we talked about before. But if they dip it all in the summer, or maybe it doesn't make much of an impact this this playoffs, I'll, I'll definitely be looking up, looking to pick up a few of his to, to hold. The eighth pick, <clears throat> right after Kamingo, was Franz, Vag- Franz Wagner. Out of Michigan, he was kind of overlooked by by most observers, but probably that's just due to not really being a true standout in Michigan, and unfairly, most likely, like the lack of impactful play of his brother, right, in his four years in the NBA as well. He started all 79 games, and he played over 30 minutes a game, so he was on the court a lot for the for the Magic. On Per 36, he averaged 18-5 and 3.5 and uh, on basically league average true shooting. Took 37% of his shots from floater range, 3 to 10 feet, uh, where he shot a solid 46% and 35% from 3. So his shooting numbers were good. He created a little bit off the bounce. Uh, he had a 16% assist rate and only a 10% turnover rate on 21, 21% usage. So all of that is pretty solid. Like It seems to me the scouting reports were, were pretty spot on for, for Wagner. He's on track to be a decent to solid rotational player uh, and probably will have a long career. He doesn't really seem to have like one standout skill that would make him the kind of player that I'm that I'm looking to buy. Uh, but on the plus side, he's on a young team with solid talent and a high draft pick. So there's definitely potential. He's he's a part of a solid turnaround on a young team. But given his current prices, while they're not they're not nearly at the level of, you know, some of the top guys in the class, I think if I came across a, a Franz, I'd probably be looking to sell into the, into the market or into a spike uh, coming into the next year if, if we have one. The next, the next kind of wing or big pick was Zaire Williams. 
Uh, he was thought to be kind of a high potential wing who was a bit more of a project. Um, he started to earn a starting spot on the second place team in the West at the turn of the year, a uh, turn of the calendar year, where he saw his offensive efficiently improve significantly, albeit on low volume. Despite shooting only 29% from three in his only season at Stanford, he took 57% of his shots behind the arc. Uh, he only shot 31% on threes this year, uh, but he did finish well at the rim, uh, shooting 86% uh, within three feet. Um, but he only took 18% of his shots uh, in that in that area. So that kind of shooting distribution, like a whole lot of threes and not not getting to the rim that much, especially especially for a, you know a taller taller wing, kind of leads to a free throw rate that was significantly below league average. <clears throat> Very, very few of his field goals from two or three range were unassisted. So it's pretty clear just looking at the numbers. I mean, I watched him play some, but just looking at the numbers, his role seemed seemed to essentially be like stand in the corner as a pressure pressure release valve and, uh, you know, cut to the basket and, and finish when when asked. Still, you know, getting significant minutes on on maybe the most exciting team in the league sort of lends itself to upside in regards to his cards. He's been getting squeezed in the playoff rotation as well, similar to Kaminga, but his team is still in it. I, I think, uh, at least currently, like his lack of sort of offensive assertiveness and self-creation, uh, although, again, you know, it may, may just not be his role on the team at the, at the moment or what his, his team is asking for him. But his lack of history, like shooting particularly efficiently from behind the arc, re- really kind of makes me think that uh, his market is kind of perfect to sell into. You know, there's definitely some risk that he improves and you know becomes a becomes a great player. But I like him and I like his potential. But I'm selling its cards. Alperin Shangun, uh, the 16th pick of the draft, he came in essentially as advertised. He was a slightly undersized center uh, with good movement. You know, very very fluid, impressive post skills, and a, a really solid passer uh, to all levels out of the post. So he he averaged 17, nine and a half, and four and a half per 36, in addition to one and a half blocks and one and a half steals. So he did a little bit of everything, um, including distribute and you know get some blocks and steals. His steal rate and assist rate in particular were, were very intriguing for a post player. To me, the numbers looks like he's kind of set up to play fairly similarly to DeMontis Sabonis, but with better defense and an ability to kind of fit in better offensively. I, you know, I think Sabonis's teams end up having to sort of play around him, which can be good, but also bad because uh, he's not a great defender. It seems like Shingun can probably fit in a little bit better offensively and, uh, you know, not be a huge liability necessarily on defense. I, I do think he's a fun player to watch. Um, I, just his centeredness really kind of worries me. Like, I don't know if I see Jokic or Embiid in, in him necessarily. And they're two of the absolute best players in the league today. I mean, both were probably going to be one one and two in MVP voting. So, of course, uh, you know, there is some collectability to him, but, uh, you know, he'd have to have a really significant career to be on that level, and I'm just not putting my money into it. Kai Jones, you know, he barely got any run for the center needy Hornets. I'm, right now I'm passing on him. Jalen Johnson, the 20th pick out of Duke, had been really kind of long thought of as a high potential sort of point forward type. He had a monster summer league, averaging 19 and 10 on high percentages from two and three, but barely found the court in the for the Hawks this season. Uh, 
his prices are towards the absolute bottom of the class, and he's a guy like from a potential standpoint alone, and with roster and potential organizational shakeups in Atlanta, I won't be pu- putting significant money into him. But if I if I get a chance to buy one or two just to hold at at you know very 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 low prices, like I I might be looking for that. Dayron Sharp uh, has really has shown no ability to stretch out beyond the beyond the rim. Uh, where he took 77% of his shots. Uh, he's he's a good rebounder, uh, almost 15 per 36, and an efficient scorer around the basket, but I, I just have a hard time seeing him be a, a player that I'm looking to buy into. So I've got just a few more players from this class. I'm trying to go a little quicker this, this episode. <clears throat> Isaiah Jackson. So a 6'10 power forward. He kind of barely got on the court until the second half of the season, which kind of co- with which coincided pretty well with the trade of uh, the aforementioned Demonis Sabonis. He ended the season uh, with 20 and 10 and over five combined steals and blocks per 36. So that would have, that would have been first in the NBA had he played enough to, to qualify. Offensively, you know, he doesn't extend really beyond the paint at all, but he, he gets to the line and he finishes efficiently at the rim and, and at the, in, in the paint. So in terms of collectability, like while his improvement throughout the season has led to his card prices running up a little bit, and he's a center, which I've kind of complained a little bit in the podcast about, and he doesn't necessarily profile as an all-NBA type of player, I I still feel pretty confident that there will be some auctions uh, that just sort of fall through the cracks, and I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the episode. But if I can buy for a dollar and sell for two, you know, that's a, a prop Joe-ism, if I can buy for a dollar and sell for two on Isaiah Jackson, uh, I'll definitely be looking to do that. Usman Garuba, Greg Brown, Greg Brown, Santi Aldama, no. <clears throat> Herbert Jones. Okay, so Herb Jones playing on the Pelicans, uh, which were maybe the most fun team to watch in the first round. He showed that what he could be as a defensive as a defensive player. His Blocks in those three-point attempts are just as fun to watch, you know, for me as a as a big dunk. He's seen a definite run-up in his cards, and I don't really expect that to suppress itself over the summer with Zion uh, potentially coming back. Uh, and, you know, the team looking really good. I expect the Pelicans to have a lot of hype going into next year. Uh, but, he, you know, he's just a fun wing defender, which is kind of fairly rare to say. Like, who... who how often do you say that you have fun watching this, watching someone play defense on the outside? In four years at Alabama and one in the NBA, he hasn't shown the ability really to shoot the three at a high rate. Uh, and it's just, it's kind of hard to be a wing with a sustained card market without knocking down threes or, you know, creating offense or setting up others. However, he has shown consistent improvement, uh, both from three and from the free throw line. So this year he shot 84% on on 163 free throws. And this is after shooting 50%, 50%, 63%, and 71% from the line in college. So he improved uh, really for the last four years. Um, and he does kind of have that one skill that could, that could sort of get him into some sort of best best in the league conversa- conversations, that being his you know, perimeter defense. He's really fun to watch. His shooting seems to be continuing despite being on the older end for rookies. Uh, but he has had a a pump in his card prices. Um, I think it's possible there's a slight dip this summer. 
as some of the money consolidates into some of the bigger names in the class. But if that's the case, I'll be looking to buy. But otherwise, I'm I'm cautious given the run-up that he's already had. There were a few other guys that I thought were interesting players, but but aren't guys I'm looking to buy, like Jerome, uh, Jeremiah Robinson-Earl, Kessler Edwards, Delano Benton, Luke Garza. So <clears throat> to kind of sum it up a little bit, you know, Mobley and Barnes are both incredible players. I, I'm just wary of buying in at, at really elevated high prices, um, but they're both definitely kind of all NBA potential potential players. Kaminga is sort of a price-dependent buy. I, I really want to own a, a nice Kaminga or two, but I think a lot of others do too. His prices are, are also pretty high. Franz, Zaire, Williams, and Alperen Sengun, all of those I'm selling into, you know, into strong markets. <clears throat> Jalen Johnson, Isaiah Jackson are two really speculative buys that I'd be looking at at kind of basement prices and Herbert Jones you know, price dependent. If I see some stuff slip through the cracks, I might jump on it. So <clears throat> talking now about, about the summer, you know, C- Contenders released April 13th. It's been, you know, three weeks now. Revolution just released. Court Keens comes out. Uh, for me, it's tomorrow, May, f- May 4th. Crown Royal on the 11th. Prism on the 25th. So that's that's right at conference finals time. You know, most impact rookies will be out of the playoffs at that time, you know, maybe we'll see, you know, I don't know, Kaminga and Moody or, um, or Zaire Williams, but, but neither are really having a huge impact, at least so far in the, in the playoffs. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of a shame, like none, very, very few, if not, if any of the rookies this year, like will even have, like be, be still playing during, during Prism release. But still, you know, given the given the time frame of it, right, right in the middle of the of the playoffs, right before the finals, I I think that Prism will come out like on fire. But I'll really be watching to see how long that lasts uh, as the NBA season will end just a few weeks after its release. So my plan right now is to actually look at some of the more popular cards and sets from less popular brands. So, you know, looking at Court Kings and Revolution Contenders. I don't even know when Select is going to be released. If that's in the dead of summer when there's no basketball on, we're done thinking about the draft, Like maybe, maybe that'll be a good place to, to look at some long-term holds as well. I think the timing of the Prism release will will allow quite a bit of stuff to slip through the cracks from the 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 other sets that, that were recently released. So I, that can be a little. It can be a little risky as compared to like Prism. They're significantly less liquid, uh, but you know I'm looking for value here, <clears throat> and uh, I I think that that will work decently fine. So I've talked a little bit about their card prices. This is what I forgot to do last time. I did this. I I took the same approach that I did in the last episode in terms of evaluating their prices against one another. So I was looking at Hoop Silver. Um, that's out of one ninety nine Donner's Elite Base. That's out of nine ninety nine. Uh, Prism Panini Blockchain Prism Blue. I think that's four ninety nine. And then Top Shot Debut. So again, like there's a lot of stuff like challenges, which I'll talk about on a on a next episode, that can influence um, prices of these players in their blockchain cards and moments. Um, so I, I've weighted the physical cards basically double um, the 
the um, NFT stuff. But, you know, Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley were by far top of the class. Jonathan Kaminga has actually really kind of caught up to them uh, in most in most formats, especially like their, his downwards elite was very close to like Scotty Barnes's recent downwards elite sales. Hoop Silver out of one ninety nine is even higher. You know, again, I think that's the playoff effect. His team is still moving forward, although he's not having a, a major impact to this playoffs. Most of the other guys, the bigs and wings, like Herb Jones is the only one, uh, and Franz Wagner, who are like really have noteworthy prices. In this, uh, in this group, I mean, even a guy like um, r- really has seen quite a quite a big dip in his market. Um, but again, you know, a lot of this speaks to centers and bigs, especially just generally aren't that collectible. People aren't really looking for for their cards, and you know, their their markets are going to stay low. Although, it's certainly possible that uh, you know a few of them start to separate, and you know, maybe their card moves from four dollars to eight or or whatever. Uh, that's, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. So I teased it just a little bit, but I do a very similar analysis for Panini blockchain and for NBA top shot, I'll probably be, be pulling some of that stuff out. It'll be less about the individual players and more about, you know, what kind of stuff are people buying? What are they looking for? How do you identify deals? Uh, it's been, it's been, you know, a little bit tough going in top shot lately for most people. I'll share some of my stories there as well. And then I also teased a, uh, a few other NFT projects that I'm looking at um, or evaluating. And uh, I'll, I'll share some of that as well. Uh, but that's it. So I kept it to 30 minutes, a lot faster this time. Thank you all for, for listening. And I really appreciate it.